Paul told Timothy to give attention to the public reading of Scripture. The reason he said that is because in the first century, when the copies of the Scriptures, the writings that the apostles were sending around in the New Testament were arriving in these little homes where churches had been formed across the Roman Empire, someone who was rare had to read them aloud because most people in the congregation in most places could not read at all. So Paul says to Timothy, you make sure that you give attention to the public reading of Scripture. Read the Bible to them so that they can hear it. So that's what we're going to do now. I'd like you to look with me, please, in Romans chapter 8. And let me warn you on the front side, this reading is going to seem long to you because text messaging, social media, instant messaging has shrunk all of our attention spans down to an almost absurd degree. Yesterday I got an email and the guy apologized before it came to the body of the email. He said, I apologize for the long email that follows. It took me all of 90 seconds to read it. And by the time I was done, I was thinking, yeah, this is kind of long. So you're going to have to fight for attention as I read Romans chapter 8. If you're on your smartphone all day the way I am, I counted this morning 25 text message conversations yesterday. That's very few for some of you. It was a lot for me. But I've felt my brain changing because of the Internet. The reading that I'm about to do may feel long to you, so I want you to have your Bible open. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one near you. Or you can use that instrument of mass distraction called your phone and open your Bible app in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is one of the pinnacles of all of Scripture. If perhaps you had to choose a single chapter in the Bible to re be reminded of the gospel and the love of God of the 1,189 chapters in the Bible, this would not be a bad choice. Paul's writing to churches in the city of Rome. Persecution has begun. You're going to read with me at the end that we are like sheep and we are being slaughtered. That's Paul's reminder and acknowledgement of what they shared together. Pressure. Not yet in most cases unto the point of death, but the kind of pressure that has always characterized Christians in almost every country. Romans chapter 8 tells you of the love of God, and I'm going to take a little portion of this chapter and try to explain it to you, but first let's read together. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's good news, church. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who were in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, 
For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Here's more good news. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. If you're hurting, if you're suffering, listen to this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he for knew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised, who is indeed at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Christians should say, Amen. that's how you're loved. Father, help me now to explain one of the most beautiful truths that you've shared with us in this passage I've just read which just bathes us in your glory and your truth and reminds us of the depth and height of your love. Help me so that we will be encouraged by how loved we actually are. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We are still in a series regarding doctrine. We've been talking about the basic teachings of the Bible itself, beginning with Scripture. And for weeks now, we've been talking about God. We've talked about the fact that there is one God and He eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I've been telling you for weeks, we've slowed down and we've taken some time to dwell on what the Holy Spirit does for people. The Holy Spirit, we learned according to Jesus, gives witness to people who don't yet know Jesus and convinces them of their sin. He shows them the righteousness of Jesus and then through the warning of judgment and by appealing to us through the mercies of God, He convinces us that we cannot possibly save ourselves, that only Jesus can do it, and He causes us to trust Jesus. And when He does that, He makes us belong to the family of God. But it's not enough to belong to the family of God. The Holy Spirit then continues. The Holy Spirit, which I've just read to you, is yours. If you belong to Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. He is not only with you, He is in you. He dwells in you to make you a habitation, a house, a home for the Spirit of God Himself and all of your earthly life. He will be not only making you belong in the family of God, He will be teaching you to behave like a child of God because both things are necessary. And for the last few weeks, I've been showing you the Holy Spirit teaches us and He guides us. Last week, I told you the Holy Spirit gifts and empowers us to serve. And because we are weak, because of the hard truths that I just read to you in Romans 8, because there are hard things in Romans 8, it's mostly beauty, it's mostly the announcement that you belong to God, and that the Holy Spirit has sent His, that the Father has sent rather His Holy Spirit into your heart, and that you say to God, you are my Abba, you are my Papa, you are my Father, and we speak to him as his children, and the Holy Spirit reassures us, according to Galatians, that we actually belong to God, so that when we are sinning and when we are suffering, we never lose sight of the conscious fact that whatever happens to us on earth, we belong in heaven where our Father is. And in all of that suffering, in all of that comfort, because Romans 8, you may have noticed, is a mixture of both. It speaks of creation as if it were a person groaning under the weight of sin. And if these nearly 18 months should have taught us anything, it is the frailty of human life. That we look for human solutions in vain. 
and the technology in medicine and war and soldiers and departments of state and diplomats all together are powerless to change the human heart. That the world itself that is dying beneath us as we use it. Paul speaks of creation as if it were a person groaning, waiting for its redemption and its salvation as Paul says, we also groan. And we wonder and we wait and we hurt and only the Spirit of God can reassure us that God remains and will always be our Father. So in all of this weakness and in all of this struggle, the Holy Spirit does, according to a portion I just read to you, does one more beautiful thing for us. He does much more. He does more than I can take time to tell you. If I tried to tell you everything across the entire Bible that the Holy Spirit does for the children of God in making them belong to God and teaching us to behave like children of God, literally I could take the rest of this year and still not really fathom it, and I'm still learning it. And the verse I'm going to share to you is something that fascinated me for the first time when I was a college student. And believe me, that was a long time ago. Long time ago, I was in college, but the first verse I'm going to read to you captured my attention because it says something so daring, so loving, so vulnerable, and so humble that the great risk of this sermon is that you're going to think that it's all about you. When you really understand how much God loves you and all that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit do for you and on your behalf, you might be tempted to get inflated. And you shouldn't. Because everything I'm about to read to you, God does not because you're so great, but because He is. Look with me in Romans 8, please, verse 26. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. See if you can guess which of the verses I'm about to read to you astonish me as a college student. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Did you get that? Not really. I've been pondering it for all these years. It completely blows me away because it has to do with prayer. The American Bible Society has been tracking Bible reading statistics, Bible reading use by Americans for years. I told you way back when the pandemic began, one of their first findings, amazingly, is that during the pandemic, Bible reading dropped. American Christians read the Bible not more when we were locked in our houses. Remember that about 20 years ago? when it's going to take two weeks to flatten the curve, stay inside, and it'll be over soon. We, as a group, did not take that time to read our Bibles. We took our time to do apparently everything else except read our Bibles. And I don't have data, but I'm guessing even though Bible reading dropped, I bet prayer increased. Have you prayed more since this mess got started? Do you pray every day? Even if it's the quick, quick, oh, help me, God. 
This has to do with prayer. And I wonder if you've ever wondered if you're praying for the right thing. I wonder if you've ever been haunted that you haven't said the right words. There's a sweet devotional custom that I've discovered only here in Southern California. One Christian will be praying aloud with others, and when those who are listening sense that the other person is nearly done, they try to say with the person praying, in Jesus' name, amen, and everybody says it together. How many of you have done this? Since I grew up out of the country and I'd never heard any other Christians anywhere I'd been in the U.S. or in Latin America ever do that, it got me thinking what it's about. And then somebody asked me if they forgot to say in Jesus' name, amen, at the end of their prayer, did it still count? Would God still listen? You ever been tortured by thoughts like that? Have you ever prayed and wondered whether your prayers escaped your bedroom? or whether they bounced up into the ceiling and back down to the floor of your house. I think a lot of Christians do. Let me give you some help. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Look, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. This is the Apostle Paul, who knew Jesus, loved Jesus, and served Jesus with more love and courage, perhaps, than any other human being before or since. And he includes himself. He says, when it comes to pray, we don't know what to pray for. There is a way that we should pray, but we don't know how to do it. I want you to take this comfort in, because it says the Spirit does what? helps us in our weakness. Our general condition is weakness. That's not plural, and I think that's important. Every word of the Bible counts. Because it is God-breathed out Scripture, every word is carefully chosen, and it doesn't say weakness. says, as in, you've got a whole list of maladies and ailments. No, just in general, the human condition is frailty and weakness. And if we should have learned anything in this trouble that we've been in since 2020, it should have been that, that we are powerless against so very much of life. But God, knowing us and seeing us in our weakness, the Spirit helps us there. Our weakness specifically is we don't know what to pray for as we ought. So what the Spirit does is amazing. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings, too deep for words. There's an SAT word in that verse, and if you don't know what it means, you'll miss the magnificence of what I've just read to you from the Bible. The word intercede. Do you know what it means? Somebody help me. If you intercede for someone, what are you doing for them? You're standing in the gap. You're speaking up for them. Let me take you back to my college discovery. I'm just, I remember distinctly when I was. I'd read it many times before, but somehow it had not come to my attention. I'm just reading Romans because it seemed like a good thing for a Bible college student to do. And then I read that in all my praying, which time had shown me was often mistaken, because I'd prayed, as it turns out, for all kinds of stupid and wicked things for short-sighted things, for ignorant things. 
I'd prayed in particular for a long time for a few girls to come into my life because I just knew and I was persuading my heavenly father who made all the world, including the girl I was praying about, that surely she was the one and that this would make my sophomore year in high school so much more enjoyable if she could be seen somewhere on my arm, hopefully after I played sports and won. And I've been, play, I've been praying about sports and praying about the girl and praying all kinds of things, and this captures my attention, and Paul tells me, Bruce, you're weak. And here's how God himself helps you. Because you're weak, and an evidence of your weakness in general is that specifically you don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit comes and speaks for you. And he speaks with groanings too deep for words. It's a little embarrassing to admit that even though I've read this verse so many times, and this week I went back and read the best available scholarship on this passage. I read a book by a man named Gordon Fee. It is this thick. He reads and writes Greek probably just about as well as I manage English. And he himself, one of the world's leading scholars, if you ever went to seminary, you pay homage to Dr. Fee because he knows so much of the Greek New Testament. He says one of the astonishing and difficult things about this is that Paul just matter-of-factly announces. He doesn't explain. He just tells you, by the way, you're too weak and ignorant to even know how to pray. You don't even know what to ask for. But here's what God does. The Spirit himself speaks to God on your behalf. As you're speaking and stumbling and struggling and saying the wrong thing and wondering whether you're even being heard, wondering whether the prayer is actually making it worse because you're showing God that you're so selfish and short-sighted and you remember your shame and your guilt and the things you did the night before or the things you did 20 years ago come crashing into your memory and you're reminded of the person you once were before you met Jesus or worse, you're reminded of the person you still are in spite of the fact that you know Jesus and sometimes you just stop praying altogether because you wonder what's the point. He could never listen to someone like me. In that weakness... Because of that weakness, your Father who exists as one in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Father who loves you listens. And the Spirit speaks for you because you don't know what to say. God has arranged his character, his purpose, his very being to listen to you. And I don't know if you noticed the most amazing part. It says the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us with what? Groanings. Too deep for words. Have you ever been in a situation where you try to pray and all that comes out instead are groans and tears? I hope you never have. I have just a very small handful of times. The worst was in 2004. My wife became deathly ill with a different kind of infection. She got a bacterial infection that nearly killed her. She was so sure that she was going to die that she actually told me goodbye from the hospital bed. And I'm a young pastor. So I've been trying to read my Bible, remember everything they ever taught me in seminary, and try to stay level, baby. Someone's got to be strong for us. 
Someone's got to talk to these doctors. The, doc the doctors in Mexico are much more indirect than they are in the United States. I fear that she's dying and they won't tell me. Finally, a doctor in our church came and I said, they won't tell me what's going on. Would you please read the chart and tell me what is actually happening? Well, before she even could, my wife told me goodbye. And when I heard that, and I thought of our two little sons and how poor their life would be without this girl. When she lapsed back into sleep, I went out into that hospital room and I tried to pray, but I really couldn't. I just groaned. <laughs> and the reason I'm telling you all that is because that's a normal, human, relatable experience. We've all been there or we all will be there. But what Romans 8.26 says, when you pray, your father, knowing that you don't even know what to say, has arranged himself in such a way that the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, speaks to the first person of the Trinity with groanings that can't even be articulated, that can't even be explained. Do you have any idea what a big, massive theological deal this is? That the, in the eternal, uncreated, always joyful existence of God who made everything and everyone, there is such love for you that Paul says the Holy Spirit, speaking to God on your behalf, groans in a way that I can't even explain to you. So Christian, please pray with great confidence. Because it says, he who searches hearts, that's God the Father, Paul was almost certainly thinking when he wrote that of 1 Chronicles 28, verse 9. Let me read it to you. 1 Chronicles 28, verse 9 says, The Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. Did you get that? How does that make you feel? God knows every one of your thoughts always at all times. Every plan, every thought you've ever had, your father already knows it. How does that make you feel? Comforted or a little humbled? Let me give you the right answer. It's yes. Confident that he knows you and humbled and reverent because he knows you. And the father, the God who searches all hearts, he knows what is the mind of the spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. That's a mouthful. Let me explain it to you. Embarrassingly, I haven't improved my explanation of what this could possibly mean, even with the help of guys like Dr. Fee since I was in Bible college. But I think this is what it looks like if I can visualize this for you. You are on earth suffering with the rest of creation. You are groaning and crying and waiting and hoping for a better day. You are saying that you wish God would lift your burdens, solve your problems, give you relief, or maybe best of all that Jesus would come back and all this mess would be over because you're tired of crying and you're tired of waiting. So you pray to God, but your prayers are often broken off because you're distracted by your suffering and you're distracted by your life. Your phone won't stop and your kids won't either. If you're a kid, your classmates won't stop, and maybe you're getting bullied, and all of that burden is bearing down on you so that you wonder whether you should even keep praying at all because you seem to keep repeating the same mindless things, and frankly, you've been doing it for a year and a half, and it doesn't seem to have made that much difference. 
And what Romans 8, 26 and 27 that I just read to you, here's my sophomore in Bible college understanding. You're doing your best to speak to God the Father. But God the Father knows something that you may not know at all or that you've forgotten, that he, his, he has sent His Spirit into your life and heart to make you His child. And the Father has sent the Spirit into your heart to speak to Him on your behalf. And that the Spirit doesn't dutifully report to the Father what you're saying. No, He conveys not only what you say, but what you mean and what you should say in a way that Paul says He does with groanings that are too deep for words. You're so loved. You're so saved. You're so safe. You're so nourished. You're so cared for that there's nothing Paul goes on to say. Even if they starve you, even if they kill you, even if your life like an Afghani Christian's is worth no more than a little lamb in the presence of an executioner, you are always safe and loved because the Holy Spirit, verse 27, intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. My Bible college understanding said to me, it's as if the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all spoke with one another in that eternal life that they have always had and that they always are, and they said to themselves, this is what he means. This is what he needs. Let us, the triune God, do what is right because his ultimate plan, verse 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That verse is the most quoted and most quoted out of context because you need to read the very next verse. What is happening, what God has predestined for you, according to verse 29, those whom God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined, he also called and those whom... He called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Did you notice those are all in past tense? You're sitting here under the air conditioning in the cushy chairs in Huntington Beach, California. Let me ask you a practical question. Are you glorified right now? <laughs> According to this, you are. You say, well, for a guy who's glorified, my knee sure does hurt, and I sure do have a lot of bills. And my family's kind of a mess, and I've kind of enjoyed COVID because I haven't been able to see them, and I kind of dread getting back together with them because my family's such a mess. I don't feel very glorified. Why are those in the past tense? Because from God's point of view, you already are. You're as safe and secure and glorified now from God's point of view because he will certainly make it happen as you ever have been. So what's the point of all this? God, seeing the world he made wrecked by sin and suffering, has sent his son to bear the sins of people who are actually guilty like you and me. And he has sent his Holy Spirit rushing into our hearts to teach us to talk to God as our father. He has sent his son into our hearts also to reassure us that God actually is our father. And what that means, church, simply put, is that one day we will fully belong and behave as children of God. You're already his. You're already his precious daughter. You're already his precious son. But one day, the God that is already yours will take you in fully and make you as his son Jesus is. And in the meantime, the Father wants us to pray. Jesus prays for us and the Spirit prays within us.
I don't know if you saw verse 34. Jesus is at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us. In the space of less than 10 verses, Paul tells you that both the Spirit and Jesus Christ, God's Son, are interceding for you. Why? Because you're weak. Why? Because you have no idea what to choose. Why? Because you cannot change on your own. Because your frailty, your sin, your guilt, your shame are too much for you. That's why Jesus took them in the cross, but you still feel their effects. You still remember your history. You still deal with the sin and the evil of other people. So God in his great mercy gives you his spirit, not only so that you will belong to him, so that precisely because you have no idea sometimes what to say to him, Father, Son, and Spirit are all actively, passionately involved when you pray. The Father listens to you as he would his beloved daughter, his beloved son. Your older brother Jesus, the firstborn among the family of God. So even if you're an only child as I am, you've always had an older brother. You've always had someone, an older brother in the family that helped you come into the family by his own death. So whoever you are, if no one goes with you, if you're in the fire you've just been singing about and no one else stands with you, the Father all the time hears and listens. The Son intercedes for you. Hebrews 7.25 says that Jesus always lives to intercede for us. And the Holy Spirit, who already lives in you, he speaks, he intercedes on your behalf as well in a way that is so passionate, so broken, so loving, that Paul says the Holy Spirit, this is, it's just inconceivable that the God who needs nothing and does not change, the person of the Holy Spirit would speak to the Father on your behalf by the Father's own will with groanings that are too deep for words. With all this suffering, the Father wants us to pray. Jesus prays for us and the Spirit prays within us. All of this to tell you a simple truth. You are heard and you are loved more than you dare to imagine or believe. See, all that suffering, all that sin, the flesh and the devil will both accuse you that you do not belong to God at all. That he could not love someone such as you that he loved you for a time, but this latest act of disloyalty, of treachery, of disobedience will certainly turn his great heart against you. And Paul says, no. You're loved all the way to the end in anything and everything they do to you as they are doing to our Afghani brothers and sisters this week. And they're spilling their blood because that's happening, that's real. The results and the witnesses are starting to come out of what is happening on the other side of the world. Even if they do that to you, it will all be for your ultimate good because those martyrs who were killed for Christ this week stepped into the presence fully conformed to the image of their older brother Jesus who by his death brought them into the very family. And in all of that suffering and in all of this time and in all this waiting, when you pray, it doesn't matter that you don't know what to say. Your Holy Father, knowing your weakness, has positioned himself forever to listen. He has given his Son to speak for you, and he has given his own Spirit to speak for you with groanings. Too deep for words. Yes, you're heard, 
Yes, you're loved more than I can begin to tell you, though I've tried. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that people would do business now with you. In a congregation this size, as many people as came to church in these two services, there will be those who are hard-hearted, those who are broken-hearted, and those, Lord, who are simply frightened. Deal with each of us according to our need. Can I just ask you directly if you know this Savior, and if you don't, can I invite you to trust Jesus, please, as your Savior right now? The wars, the pandemic, the crashing economy, all the loss, all the suffering, all the uncertainty, all the restrictions all point to a single fact. You cannot save yourself. You're not strong enough. You're not good enough. You won't make it. That's why Jesus came for you. I'm asking you in his name to finally give up on yourself and trust him as Savior. To ask Jesus to save you, please, this morning. If you do that, just call out to him. I've been explaining to you all this time that you don't know how to pray and the Father has you covered. You just tell him humbly, you can't save yourself. You know it. You acknowledge it. But you want Jesus to save you instead. You'll turn your back on your effort to save yourself. You'll turn away from your sin and just ask Jesus to save you. He's never turned anyone who humbly asked him to be the Savior. Ever. He never will. He said so. If you do that, please take the card that's in your bulletin. Leave it in the box on the way out. Give it to an usher. Send me an email from the email address that's in the bulletin. If you're online, send us a text. And Christian, did you know that your struggling, stammering prayers are this precious to God? He listens this carefully. That all of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each person is acting in eternal purpose and unity so that you're heard and understood and translated and explained and advocated for in a way that God can be pleased and God can answer until you're just like his son Jesus. That's how loved you are. Tell him thank you. Tell him this week you'll pray and you'll trust that he will advocate for you. Father, make us people of prayer. Let us pray with confidence. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that even as I pray in public, even when I don't know to pray, even when I forget to pray or I'm too cold-hearted to pray and I prefer to work on it a little bit longer myself, in all of that, the Father is listening. The Son is interceding. And the Holy Spirit is too, with groanings too deep for words, how much you love us. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.